Good morning. You guys made it. It's all the snow yesterday. So some of us uh, are up here every week, and uh, I'm not one of them, and my wife is not one of them. So my name is Chris, and this is Tessa, my wife, and we're just blessed to uh, to be up here um, stepping in for Tom, which I thought was he was going to be gone, and he miraculously showed up. So I don't know how that works, but it's really cool.
this next one is a new one, but I think you guys will catch on. We, I totally fell in love with this song a while back, and it was kind of my, my dream to do it um, with a full band. And so, um, anyway, check it out. You, my God, have saved my soul. I am yours forevermore. I won't be moved of this, I'm sure. You are my God and you save my soul. Thanks, thanks, guys. That was great. Awesome. What a great day to worship, right? Awesome. Uh, I'm Darren Beckloff. I'm one of the elders here at Rimrock, 
And I just want to welcome you this morning. Thanks for coming. Thanks for getting out of, in the snow. Isn't the snow great to have a little snow finally? <laughs> just two more months of winter, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay. So um, if you are visiting or this is the first time you're here, if you've been here a while, if you haven't had a chance to go back and uh, get welcomed at the welcome counter, please do that. There's a gift back there for you. Um, also, if you would like prayer uh, today after the service, um, go to one of the corners uh, in the back and an elder will pray with you. Um, also today uh, at 1030 after this service, there's a first step class uh, meeting in the gathering place, which is right there uh, back behind us uh, by the welcome center. Um, and then uh, our, uh, the thing we want to really uh, let you all know today is after second service at 1230 downtown, uh, we're having a members meeting, a special meeting to discuss uh, the potential buying of that building. And uh, if, if you have any questions or you want to find out more information, please come down there. That's at 1230 today downtown at the exchange that's at uh, on st joe uh the actual address 514 st joe so please come down there if, uh, if you want to find out more information um also uh, of course we're having communion today um but uh would like to just uh, uh read something from philippians this is from philippians 2 3 and 4 do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Let's pray. Lord, we're just grateful to be here today, grateful to be here worshiping you, praising your name, lifting you up. And Lord, we ask, um, forgive us for when we place ourselves before others, but also uh, when we place ourselves before you, God, we just ask for forgiveness for that. But I just pray for a meeting uh, this afternoon uh, that you would uh, show us what you have in mind for that building, that it can be a light uh, in the darkness downtown that uh, if, if that is what you want it to be, that it'll, all the details will be worked out, the costs and the, the buying and the purchase. So we just pray for that today. I also pray for the, the church in Ukraine. I pray for um, protect them, uh, make them be a light in that uh, dark time that's going on right now, and let them, let them shine to others as... Uh, as they go through the, the horrible um, time of war. So we just pray that this morning, amen.
God is awesome. So last night uh, I had a dream, and uh, I don't dream vividly very often, but I had a vivid dream last night, and I was preaching. And I don't have very many dreams where I'm preaching, but boy, I was, uh, I was like an African-American preacher in my dream, <laughs> full of passion. So, so if, I, if I transform this morning, you'll, <laughs> you know God did it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I didn't talk to Darren uh, when he was doing an announcement. He read out of uh, Philippians, but uh, he, he basically preached the message this morning, reading out of Philippians about not doing anything out of self-interest, but but interest for others. And as we go through the book of, book of Judges, we're going to be in Abimelech, and uh, I've titled this, The Enemy Within. The Enemy Within. And uh, we're, as we're walking through this series of, of Judges, we're becoming aware of the spiritual battle. Now, now, Judges is a battle book, and there's a lot of physical battle, but but I, I've been struck as I've gone deeper into this book that, that really the point is that there's a, there's a spiritual battle over the, the hearts of every man and woman and person created in God's image to be worshipers of God. And there's a battle over our hearts, over worship. And you see that throughout Judges. The central theme is this battle over worship. Will Will God's people truly surrender and give their lives and their hearts and their worship to God? Or will they begin to trust other idols, other things that are not God? And it's, it's interesting that the first command, the greatest command, is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength, mind. And if you read the Ten Commandments, it says, Do not have other gods besides me. And so the invitation is to our design to be worshipers, to be worshipers of God. You know, it's interesting if you uh, look at the life of Jesus, he, he understands our weakness. He understands our struggle with worship. Um, not that he gave in to it, but he was tempted. In fact, Hebrews says he was tempted in every way that we are tempted. So Jesus understands the, the, the worship battle, the spiritual battle over our hearts that we face day in, day out, almost every minute of the day, if we're honest, right? And Jesus understands that in the wilderness, um, he was confronted by the devil, and the devil offered him three different things in that time. But one of the things he was offered was the kingdoms of the world, and so he was shown all the power of the world, the kingdoms and the armies and the impressive things that men and women have built and made. And the devil said, I will, I will give you all this if you worship me. And so here we're confronted with the, the temptation of power outside of God. And what does Jesus reply to the devil? He says, the word of God says, we should not worship anyone besides God. So this morning, as we go through the book of Judges, we're going to be in chapter 9, and, uh, and you can open your Bibles up to that uh, chapter. And it's really a continuation of the Gideon story in a lot of ways. And, and Nick, for sure, uh, highlighted this a little bit last week at the end of his sermon, that um, Gideon had a, had a battle throughout his life. He's the, he's the first judge in this story where we begin to see the struggle between God's way, God's call, and the way of the culture, the way of the Canaanites. And Gideon 
Gideon, uh, and we see in Gideon a faith and a trust in God, but we also see a struggle with pride. And that really shows up at the end of his life. And I think it's a pride that shows up in two ways. It's a false humility that's kind of a self-depreciating, kind of a fearfulness that's really rooted in a selfishness. And we see that in Gideon. And, and, and if we're honest, and I'm a, I see it in myself, <laughs> that that temptation is there for all of us. We also see in Gideon a, a, a self reliance, a self-promoting. We see that at the end of his life where he builds this aphod, this gold statue, and it says he put it in his hometown. And, and I, I think his, probably part of his motivation is he wanted to bring glory to God, but he put it in his hometown. And it says, the author says, this became a snare to the people of Israel. This became, it's, in fact, it says the people of Israel prostituted themselves at this ephod. You see, Gideon took the attention away from God and began to put the attention to him. His hometown, he was making a name for himself. Also, we see in Gideon, he begins to act like the Canaanite kings. He, he marries multiple women, and he has 70 children, we're told. And in fact, he even has children with uh, some of his uh, slave, a slave girl who was non-Jewish. And so that's where Abimelech comes from. So in chapter 9, we're going to be looking at Abimelech this morning, a son of Gideon, the fruit of Gideon's struggle, his sin struggle, and uh, fruit of his uh, rebellion against God. And so we have Abimelech in chapter 9, and uh, we're not going to read this whole chapter. I wish we had time to read the whole story, but we're going to read uh, a little part of it. But, but basically, Abimelech um, becomes a self-appointed leader. And so he begins to think, I should be in charge. After his father, Gideon, dies, he begins to think, I should be the one who's in charge. I should give leadership. I should be king. And so he self-appoints himself. Now, up to this point, all the judges have been appointed by whom? God. God chose them. God appointed them. And we talked about this in Deborah, that, that God's way of giving identity isn't from within, but God gives identity. God gives worth. God gives purpose. God gives meaning. But we see in, in Abimelech a self-appointing, a self-discovery. And so in this sense, Abimelech becomes a picture of the anti-judge. So if the other judges up to this point are, in a sense, pointing to God's authority, God's rule, God's way, now we begin to become confronted with an anti-judge. In the New Testament, we refer to this as the anti-Christ. And so the Bible tells us that there's, there's a spirit of the anti-Christ that is rebelling against God and God's way. And there have been many examples of anti-Christ throughout the Bible and throughout human history. And we know in the book of Revelation, all this is leading up to the ultimate Antichrist who will raise up an army to ultimately fight against God. But all these Antichrists are pictures of the rebellion against God and the acceptance of false worship. And Abimelech literally makes a deal with the devil. <laughs> so if in Jesus we see the devil's temptation of the kingdoms and the power to rule over others, and Jesus saying, no, I, we will only worship God. In Abimelech, we see a deal with the devil. So the people of Shechem, this is the people where his mother came from. They're non, probably Canaanites. And so he makes a deal with them because they say, we will make you king. 
You can be our leader. You can have power over us, and we will give you money from our temple worship, from Baal. So they are worshipers of Baal, and they bring money. So this is literally devil money, and they bring it to Abimelech, and they say, we will pay you if you will be our leader, if you will be our king. And Abimelech says, yes. So what does he do? He goes and he kills all his other brothers. So 70 uh, sons of Gideon, he kills them all except for one, Jotham, the youngest son of Gideon, escapes. But Abimelech kills all his brothers. And here we begin to see the selfish heart of Abimelech and the selfish heart that all of us are tempted to use power to get our way, right, and impose God and his way. And so the selfish use of power, it's in all of us. Even Jesus faced that temptation. So there's a, a philosopher and a theologian who talked about the God-shaped hole in all of us. And I think if we're honest and reflective enough, we can recognize that reality in all of our hearts, that, that, that we are longing for some kind of power, some kind of meaning, some kind of satisfaction outside of ourselves. And so we go chasing after many things, and we see this in human history, right? And we see this in our own lives, and we see this in the world. And, and this God-shaped hole in all of us can only be filled by God himself. We were designed to be made in God's image and made to be in relationship with him. But we invite many things into our hearts, including powers of this world, including human leaders, including other people to try to fill that void. And so uh, this morning as we look at Abimelech, we're looking at the enemy within, that temptation towards power and the selfish use of power as opposed to God and God's way. So if you uh, look at your Bibles at Joshua chapter 9, uh, we're going to read verses 7 through 15. So Jotham, uh, after his brothers are all killed by Abimelech, goes up on a mountain, Mount Gerizim. I've had the privilege of standing up on Mount Gerizim. So if you remember in the New Testament, Jesus had an encounter with the Samaritan woman at, a, at Jacob's well. Mount Gerizim, they would have been looking at Mount Gerizim because the well is right below that mountain. Mount Gerizim is where the Samaritans built their temple to worship God. In fact, if you go up there today, there's the ruins of, from, from thousands and thousands of years of people worshiping on that mountain. And remember what Jesus tells the Samaritan woman? It's like he's inviting her to worship him, not just on a mountain, but he says to worship him in spirit and truth, right? The, the, the invitation to true worship. Again, it's a worship battle. But on Mount Gerizim, we see Jotham stands up there, and he, and he declares this parable. Now, now this is this really, I didn't know this before I began to study this. This is the first parable in the entire Bible. The first parable. There, there, there's no example of other parables until we get to this point in Judges. Now, we look at Jesus, and how did he teach? He taught with parables. <laughs> and so I wonder if, if Jesus... Um, um, if he is building on this parable, and in fact, I would, and we're going to read this in a little bit, I would argue Jesus uses this parable in his Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus takes this parable and he applies it specifically in the Sermon on the Mount to our lives today. So this is a parable about power and leadership. So if you look in your Bibles at Judges chapter 9, it will be also be on the screens, starting in verse 7. Jotham 
was told about this. He was told about his brothers being killed. And he climbed up on top of Mount Gerizim and he shouted to them. So the town is below and so he's shouting out from the top of the mountain. Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. God is gracious and he invites people to repent and to hear his voice. And one day, the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. And so the trees represent people. It represents the people of Israel. It represents us. And they went to anoint a king for themselves. And they said to the olive tree, Be our king. But the olive tree answered, Should I give up my oil by which both gods and humans are honored to hold sway over the trees? And next the tree said to the fig tree, Come, be our king. But the fig tree replied, Should I give, it up, give up my fruit so good and sweet to hold sway over the trees? And then the trees said to the vine, Come and be our king. But the vine answered, Should I give up my wine, which cheers both gods and humans to hold sway over the trees? And finally the tree said to the thorn bush, Come and be our king. And the thorn bush said to the trees, If you really want me to anoint if you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. A parable. A parable about power and leadership in the human heart. Would you join me in praying this morning? Lord, we come to you having heard your word. And I can just picture Jotham shouting, filled with your spirit, just shouting this message. And so many people do not hear your voice, Lord. Help us, God, not to be those people this morning, to hear what you want to speak to us, so that, God, we can worship you and follow you in your ways. You are so good, God, and so worthy of praise, so worthy, as we sang, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Lord, may that be true of us this morning. Amen. So parables are really interesting, right? They're, they're a little complicated, and I, I've always wondered, why did Jesus choose to teach with parables? You know, they, there's a mystery to it, and Jesus talks about how parables are for those who are truly seeking the kingdom of God, because it says a lot of people will hear it, and they'll just kind of ignore it or not understand and just kind of go on. But he says, those who hear and understand that, this, that the mystery of the kingdom will be opened to them. And so I don't think God's like hiding himself, but he, he's seeking who, who will truly listen, who will truly seek, who will truly receive what God has to give. I think it's really interesting in this parable, as, as we look at the trees, that that they don't seek to have power over the other trees. Isn't that interesting that they say, no, we, we, we don't need to be in charge. We don't need to have power over this. And there's a, there's a stark contrast between the, tr the fruit-bearing trees and the thorn bush. So what is it about thorn bushes? I'm, I'm, I love gardening. I love plants. <laughs> um, my, my grandparents were farmers, and so I think there's something genetically even in me that just loves something about growing things. And so even in Rapid City, I've been able to, to grow things. But wherever I've gardened and planted, there's always thistles. <laughs> there's always plants with sharp thorns. In fact, uh, I've been injured by these, these thorns over the years gardening. What is it about a thorn or a thistle? It's self-protecting. 
The plant is seeking to self-preserve itself, right? It's defensive, right? It's, it's seeking to protect itself. And so thorns intrinsically are, are self, selfish or self-seeking because they're trying to preserve the life of that plant. They also inflict pain, <laughs> right? I felt the pain of a thorn underneath my, my fingernail. It hurts. And so, and so they inflict pain, right? Because they're, they're, they're seeking their self-preservation over others. What is it about a fruit-bearing tree? What's so amazing about fruits is that, that it's intrinsically giving, not just for the preservation of that tree, but it's providing seed, it's providing food, it's giving out beyond itself. And so it's propagating blessing, right? A fruit tree propagates blessing. In fact, our very livelihood and the way we live is dependent on plants who give, <laughs> plants who produce, plants who give more than what they need, right? Because it seeks to produce and to give, and it brings blessing and goodness. And that's what the parable emphasizes. What does it bring? What does the fruit bring? It brings joy, cheer, goodness. <laughs> They're giving plants. And so there's a contrast between the protecting, inflicting pain plant and the giving plant, which provides for others. All of animal and human life depends on giving plants. And again, remember, this is a parable about leadership, about power. Jesus, I think, refers right back to this parable on the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7 of Matthew. What does Jesus say? He says, watch out for false prophets. What's Abimelech? Abimelech is the anti-judge, the anti-Christ. What's Abimelech concerned about? His own benefit, his own power. He's willing to kill, to preserve his power. He's willing to abuse. He's willing to destroy so that he can hold on to what he thinks is right, what he wants to accomplish what he wants to do. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. There's people who are like thorn bushes. They come to you in sheep's clothing. So, so outwardly, they look good. <laughs> they, look, they look powerful. They look like they have it all going right. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. And then this is what Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So Jesus says, when you think about people who are, are looking for positions of power, for looking for positions of influence. Watch out. Look at their fruits. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes, Jesus says? <laughs> like, do you, do you go to the thorn bush to get blessing? Do you go to the thorn bush for what's good? Or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Isn't this what Jotham said, that out of the thorn bush would come fire, <laughs> destructive fire? And in Abimelech's story, literally, he traps the very people who elected or paid Abimelech that, that devil's money. They go up in a tower because they begin to fight, right? Because wherever there's selfishness, what, is the, what does James say? Where there's selfish ambition, there's quarrels and fights. 
right? So wherever we see war and destruction and backbiting and destruction of people and relationships, what is there? We see this thorn bush analogy come true. And so what does Abimelech does, do? He chases the people in the tower. He sets fire to the tower. And he burns them all alive. Hundreds and hundreds of people. He burns them alive. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Selfishness will always self-destruct. Selfish power will always bring destruction. It will always bring destruction. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So the remainder of this morning, I want to talk a little bit about some practical ways we can listen to the parable, listen to what Jesus is telling us, because because of that God-shaped hole, we have to be careful of that enemy within us that would, would seek power or influence or leadership outside of God. Because that's the issue. This is a worship issue. Worship isn't just singing songs. This, is, this has to do with our heart before God and everything we do in every aspect of life. You see, God's kind of worship isn't just what we do on Sunday morning. This is important, but, but it, it influences every aspect of who we are, every aspect of our lives, from our homes, our marriages, our parenting, our workplaces, our businesses, our, our everything, our politics, our nation, our world. It's a worship issue with the human heart. So two applications. Who do we look for for leadership? God works through people. And, and throughout Judges, we see God raising up people who God's going to use, like Barak and, and Deborah and, and Gideon, and, and, and people who God is choosing, and God has chosen you. And I believe everyone in here has some kind of leadership role. You, you have been called by God for some kind of place and relationship where you are impacting and influencing people, whether it's in the home or whether it's in the workplace or in the community, in the neighborhood, wherever you are here at church, God has called all of us to some kind of leadership kind of role. So who do we look for in leadership? And what kind of leaders will we be in our family, in our business, our church, in our nation, in our world? What do we do with power? What do we do with power? Power is a, a, an interesting thing. Now, now, in the ancient world, the most powerful thing was, was plants. And, and I, I still think it's the most powerful thing because we're here today because plants produce, right? But, but we've kind of gotten away from an agricultural society. So, so I was thinking about, okay, what, what, what can help non-agricultural thinking? And so I brought a couple things that I think illustrate power um, outside of what plants that um, have to do with this parable. So one of the things I thought of was a battery right? Uh, I, want, I thought about pulling my car battery out because I wanted a big battery, but I decided this would work. <laughs> well, nine volt battery. But, but what is it about batteries? Batteries don't produce their own power, right? They're dependent on an, another power source, but they store that power, and they use that power for what? For good. Like when you need a flashlight, you need a battery, right? Hospitals depend on batteries. Cars depend on batteries. We, we depend on batteries to, to live in everything we do, right? And this is a life-giving source of power. I thought of another kind of power, and by the way, this isn't real. It's just a toy. <laughs> but this is a, a little toy grenade, right? This also has power. But what kind of power is this? This is a destructive kind of power, kind of like a thorn bush. 
And this is a, a defensive kind of power that inflicts pain and destruction. And I got to tell you as a pastor, how many marriages, how many homes, how many businesses, how many churches I've witnessed over my life that have been destroyed by a destructive form of power. As people seek to use their position or use their influence for their selfish gain, for their own good, and it leaves a trail of destruction. And, and, and I, I think one of the clearest uh, places we see this is, is in the church where pastors use their position, right? And, they, and, and secretly, you know, they're, they're, they're just seeking their own good. And we have so many examples over the past year. I could list so many names of influential, gifted, powerful preachers, people who were ultimately grenades and destroyed so much. And we can apply this to business and politics, so many areas. So how do we fight this battle from within of this destructive kind of power? And how do we live out the kind of power of God's design, kind of like that battery, life-giving, to bring glory to God and to bring blessing to others? You see, God has infused us as image bearers to bring blessing, to bring goodness to others. The, the disciples were, were arguing about who would be greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus said, don't be like the Gentiles who lord over them. Rather, I've called you to be servants. He said, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So here's three applications real quick before we take communion. Number one, we're to abide in the vine. The power doesn't come from us. It comes from who? God. You see, Jesus gave us a powerful parable, a powerful illustration. Jesus said, I am the true vine. <laughs> you see, this is an invitation to worship Jesus, to trust Jesus, to look to Jesus for power and life. We know that Paul says that, that the gospel is the power of God. You see, this is an invitation to find blessing and meaning and everything good in Jesus. And so the, 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 the way we fight this is we, we run to Jesus. We come to Jesus. He is the answer for this dilemma, for this battle with them. He is the one who can fill that God-shaped hole in our lives. Jesus is our leader. He's our Lord, our judge. And it's when we abide in him and remain in him that we really live out our design to be instruments of blessing, to be servants of God in this world. Number two, character over giftedness. You see, the Bible, when it always talks about leadership, when it always talks about God's design, we always look at character. And we've gone wrong when we begin to look at giftedness. And not that gifts are wrong, but, but when we prioritize that over character, we get in trouble. We get in trouble. Jesus only emphasized character in the Sermon on the Mount. When Paul talks about the qualifications for an elder of the church, he didn't talk about how they could preach amazing sermons or how they could do amazing things. He talked about their character. He talked about who they are when no one's looking because that's what matters and that's what we're to look for. That's what we're to measure in leaders. And thirdly, our love for God must be first. These three things are for Christians. If you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, none of this makes sense. But, it, but, it, but if you have yielded your life, if you have submitted your heart and, and you've, you've said, Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, then all of this makes sense. The abide and vine 
abide in the vine, character over giftedness, a love for God that must be first. Because it's really not just up to us. That's Abimelech's problem. He, he, he sought power in his own ability. This is an invitation to the surrendered life to God. And that's why we're going to take communion this morning. So I'm going to invite the, the elders and the ushers to come on forward, and we're going to pass out trays, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up, and we're going, to, we're going to sing. And what I would ask you to do as we pass this out is hold on to the, hold on to the grape juice. <laughs> do you see the tie with grape juice, the vine, fruitfulness? And then how did Jesus demonstrate power? He didn't seek his self-interest. He gave his life as a ransom for many. You see Jesus' example. And so we're going to pass out this, uh, these uh, elements. So elders and ushers, if you guys can come on up, and we're going to pass out these trays. And I would ask you just to hold on to the bread, hold on to the cups, and then, uh, and then we'll take these all together here in a minute.
significant thing we do as Christians in our worship is we remember Jesus, the true vine, who, who demonstrated power not in the way the world does, right? Like Paul says, the cross seems so foolish to the world, right? Because the world uses power to dominate and, and displays of power, but, but Jesus demonstrated his power in, in being whipped and being crucified on a cross because he was willing to give of himself, just like a tree that wants to provide. And so Jesus is the tree of life. He's the tree of life. And so he gave of himself because he knew that we were incapable of receiving life on our own, that we needed his life. And that's why this bread represents his body. His body was broken so that we might be healed and made whole. Let's eat. of the covenant, the, the creator of the universe became like us, a man, and the blood is the most, it's the most important thing for life, right? It's the most life-giving thing, and yet Jesus poured it out, and this reminds us that he is the true vine, and that his blood was sufficient to pay for our sin, and so that enemy within could be conquered, not through discipline and punishment, but through sacrifice. He made a way for us to be transformed, to be made whole, to be made new, and to live out the design and the potential that God has for us by His grace. Let's drink this in remembrance of Him. So I just wanted to share something with you guys. Every time we, every time I sing this song,